1: Loads of challenges. I hope you even are about.
0: listening to the High so Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, me. where I help clinicians just like you take control of their career and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest like goals. Or Let's dive on my in. Own.
1: When you're working for yourself, you don't really have anyone to turn to. I had to learn. And I've Hello, done a lot of research. Welcome YouTube to the videos, videos, podcast bit, It's built up in Hansa, I think. How does I do that? Today we have an amazing guest me, all the, the way really. from
0: the UK. We have Charlotte Reynolds here. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank
1: you. How are you,
0: Liam? Good. It's so good to hear a UK accent. <laughs> Even a brummy accent.
1: It might not be an accent everyone likes,
0: but... <laughs> <laughs> we might need to have some kind of transcription or translation <laughs> service for this episode, but there's a pre-warning <laughs> right here. But thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Let me tell you a little bit about Charlotte, Charlotte Reynolds. So Charlotte and I, actually funny backstory, we started our careers together back in the UK. We both worked in Reading. Um, and Charlotte has had an amazing career since then. Charlotte started off working in neuro, I believe, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Charlotte working in neuro, and then we both kind of moved to intensive care at the same time, and had a lot of fun working in intensive care and too many giggles and laughs at the same time, and whilst also <laughs> delivering the highest level of care possible.
1: <laughs> of course, definitely.
0: And then Charlotte moved back up, back to home back to Birmingham um, and she worked around a couple of different hospitals, trial and chemo nursing and then you know she she met our partner and she's created two beautiful children, two beautiful boys and she is now working in aesthetics as an aesthetics nurse and cosmetic nursing for us across here. I think that's what we call in Australia but Charlotte's been doing that now for how long Charlotte?
1: So 2019, i done my training mm. um, and then it's took a good 18 months to really get it going. I
0: so, yeah, a couple that. of years
1: now, yeah, two, three years.
0: Amazing. And built from absolute scratch, which we'll talk about a bit further in the, the episode. And the other thing that I forgot to mention was that you actually did nurse prescribing. So, of course, you're a nurse prescriber yeah. and you also did outreach for intensive care. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so um, shall I just tell you a bit about my journey? Yeah,
0: do it, go for it.
1: So, um, obviously, I worked with you in intensive care. So, I qualified as a nurse. I had no clue what area I wanted to go into. And people said, go and work on the wards, get your ward experience up. So, I went and worked on the neuro ward, which was good. I learned my basic nursing skills, but it just wasn't enough for me. So then I moved to intensive care, and that's obviously where I met you, and we had some good times uh, <laughs> working together, and we we, did. we lived in the same nursing accommodation as well. Do you remember? <laughs>
0: it's like back in the day, isn't it? All the young nurses listening are like, what's nursing accommodation? Oh, like, really? <laughs> it's so historic.
1: <laughs> Basically, it's where all the nurses live, next to the hospital. Um, oh, it was horrible, it really. <laughs> Yeah, it really was. Um, It was literally a bedroom with a bed and a sink in. Um, But we survived and here we are now. So I worked there and then I decided I was going to move back home to Birmingham and I knew intensive care was where I wanted to stay. So I started working in one of the biggest trauma centres in, at the time it was in Europe, but I think there's Mm -hmm. more centres now. And um, I worked in neuro trauma burns and I'm still employed there now. I've just reduce my hours a lot. Um I'd done a critical care course at university because I needed a critical care course to know properly what I was going to be doing mm-hmm. and if I wanted to progress. Um then I started doing outreach nursing. Do you have outreach in Australia?
0: We have a different version of it across the different states and territories. Um, I think here, and sorry listeners if I'm wrong, but uh, I think some places call it access, but we definitely don't have the outreach service that is in the UK. So maybe tell us a little bit more about what outreach looks like in the UK, what that job entails.
1: Okay, so critical care outreach basically is a group of nurses who very very small amount of nurses so you could just have two three on a shift and you'd have a hospital bleep you'd be covering the whole hospital if your bleep goes off it could be either a cardiac arrest call or it could be any type of uh, potential emergency a patient deteriorating or just something the nurses aren't quite sure about but they don't want to bring the doctors so they'll call one of the outreach nurses to come and give advice assess Mm. their patient and then the outreach nurses either manage that patient with the nurses or then they refer on to doctors. Mm. So, for example, a patient showing signs of sepsis, we go and do the assessment, we do it, put a plan in place. Um, I done my nurse prescribing because then that gave me access to prescribing medication for nurses on the wards and then the doctors can then only be used if they're, if they're needed. So we were like mm. helping the doctors, really, um, mm. and it worked really, really well
0: such a good service and I think I'm just thinking now of what it is here and it would be kind of more like a medical emergency team but the difference in the UK is that an access uh, sorry uh, an outreach nurse is a nurse who like you say is a nurse prescriber very autonomous very highly regarded in the hospital and can literally manage I like to think of them as like junior doctors they can pretty yeah. much do everything um, and I remember so many times as a nurse on the floor where those outreach nurses saved my butt like so many times.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so thank you, Charlotte. It also it's really good that we were there to support the nurses. Um, so if nurses were newly qualified, it's good. It was good for them that they had that reassurance that they're doing the right thing. And they'd ring mm. and say, "Can you just come and check something? Because I don't, you know, your nursing instinct and you get that feeling with your patient." So it was quite good for that. And then, so basically from there, I went back to ITU, which is intensive care. Then I fell pregnant and I had my first little boy, Joseph, or Joe. And um, (laughs) and then while I was on maternity leave, I started to think, "Mm, do I want to go back full time? What else could I do? What can I do with my prescribing? And I think when you become a nurse and you start doing different training, your brain starts getting a bit itchy feet and you're thinking Mm. what can I do with what I've got where can I go with it where can I get more money more time for myself Mm. happiness or whatever you're looking for so I started doing my aesthetics which was complete it in when I first started I was had imposter syndrome for about 12 months I felt Mm. I couldn't do it I couldn't take money off people I didn't know how to market myself and then bit by bit I've built that earth and then I had mm. my second child, and um, now I'm the, I can't believe how busy I've been. And I think with nursing, I never knew when I'd done my nurse prescribing or my critical care course that it would have got me into aesthetics, but actually mm. all these pieces have actually got me to where I am now.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so so I am going back to work in April, but luckily, unfortunately for me, I'm just going back to doing one day a week. Mm. which is my choice because i'd just keep my foot in the door um, mm. and then i'll do my aesthetics
0: i love that so much i love how much we've both had like s- totally different paths that like we both never would have anticipated where we are now like never of us ever and ever. i think i love that you bring that up because there are so many people that are listening that will be thinking to themselves But how do I get there? Like, how do I get to aesthetics? How do I get to intensive care? And I think as nurses, we always worry about the how. We worry about the next step. But here's the thing, like, you just don't know what's going to happen. Like, life changes, the system changes, healthcare changes, (laughs) Um, (laughs) COVID-19, lots of things. Make you reassess and reevaluate, like, why you're really doing what you're doing. And it sounds like for you, you had a moment where you had Joe and you went, this isn't going to fit with my life anymore. Yeah. I need to do something different. And I know that a lot of people listening will relate to that because we have a huge uh, female following. Hello, ladies. Um, we have a few huge female following on the podcast. Obviously, nursing is very female uh, dominant. But uh, yeah, so many people go through something very similar. So how did you come to that decision? Was it hard to make the decision to stop doing as much intensive care and start venturing out because it sounds like it would be challenging
1: yeah there was a few things that went through in my mind so I had Joe and I'm having these thoughts and my partner was supporting me is like completely going to help you so I had, it was easy from that side I was worrying what my manager might say whether my colleagues would think oh as if you're going into aesthetics do you not want to be a nurse anymore do you not care anymore do you not want to be part mm. of our team anymore And it took me a while to realise I was so bothered at first to the point I was like, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to go back to work, be full-time, do my night shifts, do my weekends. And then I thought to myself, who am I doing this for? I'm doing it for people Mm. who who have got their own lives and they make their own choices. I do really think with nursing particularly, you have that many options. You need to always think in your head, if this isn't for me, there will be something else that is for me. You're not Mm. glued to one place. You can move around. You can get experience. And I always used to worry what everyone thought of me or whether they – when I moved to intensive care from a ward, so I started working with you, I remember moving to intensive care thinking, are people going to think I'm stuck up and I think I'm a know-it-all because I've moved Mm. from a ward to an intensive care unit? And I think you always feel like that, but I think you have to just push through that and realise – you want to be happy and whichever path you end up in is because you've made that decision for the right reason.
0: Yeah, I love that. Because ultimately what you what you're describing is, do you know, what other people say about you. I always say this, what other people say about you is none of your business. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a really hard concept to grasp, but we're all yeah. like that for sure. Like when I was the numb, the nurse unit manager, I'm so worried about everybody what do they think of me and my leadership style like it's the same thing at a different level but I heard something this week that really landed with me about imposter syndrome and it was if you don't feel like an imposter in the room that you're in then you're in the wrong room like indicating that you should feel like an imposter like if you want to grow you should feel like an imposter yeah And that imposter syndrome is all in your mind, um, but in the moment it's so hard, but it's all in your mind and you just need to keep pushing through it, right? Yeah, Getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. Good old Brene Brown quote there. I love that. I love your journey so far. So in terms of working in um, the ICU, I want to jump back to that segment just for a little second because I know that working in that intensive care being one of the largest or the largest in Europe would have been very challenging on a day-to-day basis but then add COVID on top of that tell us what it was like to work in the NHS during COVID
1: um well it was intense um Mm. excuse the pun of intensive (laughs) care unit but it it was full on it when COVID first came to the hospital the worst thing was we were looking after people and we didn't know how to treat them we had no plan. And that became an issue because you were handing over to nurses and you were basically saying, try this, try that, try this. Whereas intensive care is so programmed and so structured and organized and you have so much control that we suddenly have lost all this control. Mm. And nurse, we were going home worrying because we felt like we hadn't delivered the care that we'd normally give. And bit by bit, more patients were coming in. More nurses were going off sick or had COVID themselves, and this cycle began. We were very lucky with our hospital because it's a military hospital as well. So we were very lucky that the RAF, Army, and Navy nurses were coming in and helping us, mm. and we had real good PPE. We felt protected in that way, actually, because we had really good PPE. But it was like a war zone. And that's it. And even some of the military nurses said they've been to Afghan and it was worse than that, because it was just not. It was just full on. The doors were opening, and it was just constant. Whereas now, because there's there's plans for patients with COVID, we know what we're looking at. We know what to expect with them. It's it's a lot more manageable. Mm. But at the time, it was it was really really bad, really bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. In terms of uh, the support that was provided at the time for nurses in the NHS, I mean, what did that look like? I know it was all unknown, but did you get the support that you guys required?
1: I think I think we got the support that the nurses, our senior nurses, could give. I um, don't think they didn't try, but I think they were trying to be strong for us nurses and you get your matrons and they're trying to push you through everything and be backbone Mm. but bit by bit they were crumbling and that was obviously because it's so emotional and stressful Mm. it wasn't because they'd given up or they couldn't be bothered so i I can say actually the the management and the team everyone like tried to stick together if Mm. anything it brought everyone closer because we were then working with nurses being redeployed from the wards from department like uh, nurses were coming to us who'd never worked in an intensive care unit and being mm. like, here's your patient, we need you, we need you. And yeah. So we all had to pull together and we had to wear, because we had helmets on, we had to wear our names across our chest so that people could at, at least acknowledge us as a person, but you couldn't even mm. really hear each other talking through what you were wearing. Mm. Um,
0: yeah.
1: So it was hard, but they did the, the seniors did what they did to get us through it as mm. best as they could at the time.
0: It's interesting because what I'm hearing is like, it sounds like it would be quite isolating. Like intensive care nursing is quite isolating typically because mm. you're working one-on-one with a patient who is asleep usually. Um, <laughs> but not only that, you're usually working side roomed, you know, with some form of infectious disease and you really have no kind of engagement with anybody for 12 uh. hours. And usually intensive care is in the UK, are like in the dungeon of the hospital, like they're down in the basement <laughs> uh, <laughs> and they're very dark and dreary. Um, but that sounds like that would be adding even more isolation to the role of being an intensive care nurse.
1: Yeah, it was just so emotional. What what was really sad was the the redeployed staff coming in because some Mm. of them were newly qualified nurses, some were in their final year and they had to stop their training to come and help us as nurses and they hadn't even qualified but we needed them Mm. and we were scarred that we had nurses that were like i cannot do this and we were then trying to say yes you can we're here but inside you just know that you know it's horrendous
0: mm, um, yeah.
1: and, But then on the positive some nurses came in and helped us a lot of them and they were like i want to work in intensive care mm. you know i loved it it was hor- horrible at the time but actually i saw what i did and i could see what the team was like and i want to come back to this place
0: yeah wow Such a good reframe. Hey, like imposter syndrome again, like they would be feeling imposter syndrome big time, but they just had to do it and they committed to it and they created a career from that experience. That's amazing. In terms of the ICU unit itself, kind of pre-COVID, busy place, I'm assuming it's a large unit. Talk to us about some of the presentations that you have um, or some of the things that you see in that kind of unit.
1: Um, so I work neurotrauma burns. So most of our patients come in are normally quite young. It's normally, normally car accidents is a common one. Assaults, stabbings, Mm. bleeds to the brain, whether Mm. it's through trauma or they've had a real big stroke. Burns is house fires normally. Mm. And yeah, that's what we see. And also because we're a military hospital, if there's been an injury, with any military, even if they're in another country, they're flown in by the military to us. So mm. I look after people who've, for example, someone in the army uh, got run over by one of the trucks, RAF, sorry, someone yeah. in the RAF, RA, sorry, <laughs> Somebody, I'm not yeah. laughing. <laughs> um, someone in the RAF, parachuting, parachuting accident, oh, and, and like people paralyzed, and it's, it's life-changing injuries that we look after. Mm. But, as sad as it sounds, it's absolutely amazing what can be done for patients with that. The rehabilitation is unbelievable. There's a wow. lot of money invested in the hospital. So recovery is really good. So it, as sad as it is, it, you can turn people's lives around.
0: Mm, mm. Such a huge event to happen in somebody's life. I'm just curious, like as a nurse, when I think of those situations, I think, God, like, were we trained for that stuff? Like, I do know. you have a really good induction program and good educational support?
1: Or, I must like? say, I think I say it very normally, like, oh, you know, a car accident. But if it's your first down in an intensive care unit and you're looking after someone, even if you're, um, you know, working with another nurse, it's very, very daunting because mm. even the backstory of where they're in becomes to us quite normal, we're quite used to similar things coming through the door, but actually when you take, strip it back and think, if, if it was my first day, how would I be feeling?
0: You'd be mm. thinking,
1: oh, my God, <laughs> what yeah. is going on? Is he going to be okay or is she mm. okay? And, um, yeah, it it's an environment that you really have to adapt to, but it one thing I would say about the NHS is there isn't enough support for a staff to deal with situations, you're just almost expected to look after someone and go home and do your shift and almost mm. not not think about that. It was a person. And it's not that we're told not to think about it, but we're not told to talk about it either. Mm. Yeah. And I do think since COVID, there's a lot more mental health awareness with the NHS. Where I work, they have employed nurses to actually do debriefs and stuff. But pre-COVID, it was unheard of. You'd look mm. after someone, you'd have a really bad shift, and then you'd go home, or you'd have another patient coming through the door because there's a mm. bed ready.
0: Mm. That's so hard, so challenging. It's so good to hear that they're investing in mental health support for nurses in the UK because one of the biggest challenges, I guess, from COVID has been obviously the workload and the, yeah. the, the acuity of the work, but also like the mental toll. Pre pandemic, we were already cognitively overloaded by all of the trauma and general, all of the things yeah. that we see day to day super hard for sure
1: uh, one last thing about where i work when covid is happening it's easy to think like nothing else is happening in the hospital but there are still car accidents coming through the door there are people needing a heart transplant a liver transplant So you've got the stress of nurses on COVID units and then trying to staff units where people need the surgery and they need it now because they're not going to survive. And Mm. it's that stress of, you know, you you could be really run down and think, I can't go into work, but I've got to go into work because of this, this and this and this. So, yeah, it has been a challenge. It has been a challenge. It just
0: perpetuates the problem, doesn't it, for sure. Mm. Um, But thank you to all of the NHS workers. Thank you to everybody. But we're talking about NHS today. So thank you to all the UK listeners. (laughs) And thank you, Charlotte, for doing what you do. Seriously, it is amazing. It really is amazing. It just shows everybody how valuable we are as a profession. And it makes me proud. I know a lot of people sometimes feel a little bit. Disgruntled being a nurse, but it does really make me proud that we can contribute that to society. And we're literally, do you know, tidying up the mess that is COVID 19. Yay. <laughs> um, on a different <laughs> note, I'd like to change directions and explore more about your business and tell us a little bit more about that journey for you. Because you can have touched on it a little bit, but I believe it's Charlotte's aesthetics. That's the yeah. that's the official title. <laughs> the title <laughs> Tell us more about it and what you've kind of learned on that journey to setting this business up.
1: So when I first started working for myself, I was that embarrassed that I was working for myself I couldn't even say I have my own business because I didn't feel like I was had the privilege to give myself that title. Mm. So when people used to say, you know, do you do I don't know, whatever treatments I do? I would never ever address it Charlotte's aesthetics because I thought, who am I to be saying this? Because I'm a nobody, I'm a nurse from a hospital. And and that is. Hold on, hold on, hold
0: on. I'm just a nurse from the hospital. (laughs) Yes. That's that's banned from this podcast, okay?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to all the nurses listening, never ever feel like that. I shouldn't have said that. I'm not just a nurse. An important
0: lesson to learn, yeah. (laughs)
1: I'm a very good nurse Um, so started doing my aesthetics and it worked really well around childcare I came across loads of challenges that I I had not even thought about the treatment side became second nature to me Mm. it was everything behind the scenes booking clients in money, tax you know, dealing with not complications but if clients have got queries or anything like that I was on my own. When you're working for yourself, you don't really have anyone to turn to and say, oh, can I, manager, can I have mm. a quick word? I've got a, this going on. I had to learn, and I've done a lot of research, YouTube videos, and, and bit by bit, it's built up, and I'm, I'm really proud of myself because it's around my home life. Now I've got children, and a partner it's perfect whereas six years ago i didn't have a partner or children i was happy doing overtime at the hospital Mm, and i I was actually okay with doing that in hindsight i think how did i do that but at the time i was i thought i'm still i'm going on nice holidays i'll work 60 hours this week because it'll pay for me to go away next month um Mm. and now i think well everything's just changed for me really Mm. no i'm really enjoying having a business i'm a lot more confident in myself. I can actually say I've got a business and it's called
0: Charlotte's And you just said it on a podcast, so it's going to be everywhere.
1: (laughs) This is my first time talking down a microphone about my business. (laughs) You're doing great. Yeah. I love that. So, yeah, that's it really. I I I love that so
0: much. No, it's awesome. In terms of Charlotte's Aesthetics, uh, you mentioned some of the challenges there. I want to touch on what it was like to take your first payment. Oh,
1: I cringe now because I was cringing at the time. <laughs> but I remember I'd already told the client the price via an Instagram message because I, I wanted to get that bit out of the way. And then you're thinking, have I overcharged? Have I undercharged? Am I worthy of this amount of money? Should I do more? Should I do less? And all these thoughts are going through your head. So I, I, I gave a price. The client came, and at the time I didn't have a card machine because I wasn't professional enough in my eyes to have a card machine. Who am I to have a card machine in my room? Oh, stop. Um, so I was my my payments were either bank transfer or cash at the time, and so i have done the treatment. Yeah, love it. And uh, she was like, "So how much is it again?" And I was re asked the question, and in my mm. head I'm thinking. We've, we've we've already discussed this in a message, please don't talk about money to me, just send me the money. <laughs> and But I had to be calm and I was just said the price. And I was like, mm. I remember saying, is that okay to the client? And after I thought, why, why did I say that? But it's because I was doubting why should I be taking money off someone? Mm. Whereas now I think actually I've earned this money. Mm. It's like any other job, just because I'm doing it on my own doesn't mean that I shouldn't. Be paid a wage um yeah. but yeah it was really nerve-wracking and they don't know that because obviously I have to put a front on. but yeah. it's a funny feeling especially with nursing because you don't have one you do everything for a patient you bath them wash them feed them change them do the bed sheets but you want to like kind of have <laughs> Ten (laughs)
0: pounds. Can you imagine at the end? That's why I asked the question because as a nurse, it is so hard. Like I can relate to that. I, in in my coaching business as well, I've had that drama around money for myself because. As nurses, it's not like, so, sir. I'm going to get you up this morning. Um, I'm going to make yeah. your bed. That'll be an extra £10, please. And then uh, I'll push your tray table and that's a pound.
1: <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll empty a catheter. That'll be £5 per 500 ml. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it's danger pay because that looks nasty today <laughs> Um, I love that no I wanted to to ask you that question because it's a real challenge for anybody that's listening that's thinking of setting up an aesthetics company or a coaching business I know there are people that are into nursepreneurship um, then money is a real challenge and especially when you start to think like am I worthy and can I do this and what if I'm overcharging and overpricing I mean One lesson that I've learned is that you're delivering a transformation for someone. Even in your work, Charlotte, you're delivering an aesthetic transformation. Um, In my work, it's I'm taking you from where you are right now and you're moving to where you want to be and I'm helping you achieve a goal. You're
1: changing lives, really. We both
0: are. Um, And any kind of business really should be serving people for sure. Um, But when people come up with that price drama, it's usually our own beliefs about price and money and how we manage it that come through which is just really interesting something for another day um if someone was thinking of setting up an aesthetics company what would you tell them
1: um i would definitely say do your research um so find a good training provider who is trusted has good reviews or is a recommendation because especially with aesthetics, you could go into training and walk out and feel none the wiser and think, mm. oh, I, could, I can't do that. I'm going to have to go and train again with someone else. And also just price up how much it will cost you to start your business up because I, I was the same. I'd done my training and then I didn't realise how much insurance was. And even though it was fine and I paid it, I think if you've got an idea in your head, it's less daunting because you're not mm. coming across obstacles because you're thinking, right, once I've got the training, I've got to pay this, this, this and this and I'm ready to go. Um, mm. So I'll definitely, definitely do research and have support behind you. I think the more support you have, the more you trust yourself to do something. God, well, that's what I think anyway. Mm. Um, Amazing. What's your so- advice?
0: um oh I mean for me it would be don't waste time on the things that are not gonna actually create revenue <laughs> um you know don't waste time on websites don't waste your time uh, no one looks at a website I spent hours on my website <laughs> um also you know really work on your money mindset really work on what it is you offer Um, and be confident in the value that you provide and the transformation that it provides because what I've learned is in the coaching world people who pay pay attention right so like if you and I've done it like I know this to be true for myself I've paid recently for a course and it was 397 dollars and I haven't even picked it up yet I haven't even looked at it (laughs) like 200 pounds in UK money because it was just tiny amount whereas like if you pay Ten thousand dollars for a master's program, or you know, five k yeah. for a master's, you're gonna get the work done. Um, yeah, you'll so that, would, to that yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it'd be the same with Botox and anything like that. It would be people who pay, you know, pay attention to the yeah. regime and maintaining it and coming back for more, rather than it being yeah. like ten, ten dollars, and people just thinking that it's you know so easily accessible.
1: Yeah,
0: and then you're at, uh, at a loss as well <clears throat> as a business. So, in terms of high-performance nursing, I'm curious, how would you define high-performance nursing? What comes to mind when I say high-performance nursing?
1: So you asking me?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm interviewing you.
1: <laughs> this is, um, can I just,
0: just a little side note, this is um, our careers in intensive care, like Charlotte, can you pass an adrenaline? Like, you're talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> like i need it yesterday <laughs> i don't know why i
1: thought you were talking to someone else um okay um how would i define high performance mm. nursing is mm. in is in your business or no, the work?
0: No. <laughs> yeah tell me all the things about how great i am uh no like in terms of healthcare. um in terms okay. of like being what? a high performer on the floor okay. in nursing what does that look like
1: so how I would define a high-performance... If I was on the ward and I was observing nurses and I wanted to spot that high-performance nurse, I'd be looking for someone who is approachable. I really believe that half the battle of being a good nurse is smiling, being polite and being friendly and approachable, almost mm-hmm. to the point where you're with your patients, you're having a chit-chat, but you're doing your job as well. And I think a good nurse can almost make them feel like they're not actually in hospital and they're not actually going through whatever they're going through, which is likely to be not a nice mm. time for them. Also, I really think in nursing that the more questions you ask, the better nurse you are. I think if you're, an, if you're a nurse and you don't know things but you guess or you try and do something that you can't do or you, you know deep down you're not 100% comfortable doing it, you are a better nurse if you go to somebody else and say, I really want to do it, but I'm, I'm really not quite sure. Can you just come and stand with me and watch me just once? No one would ever turn around and say, go away, deal with it yourself. And I think mm. I've come kind of across two lots of nurses, one where they're saying, Charlotte, I'm new to intensive care. Can you just even – they'll be like, oh, no, it's stupid, but could you just watch me clean their mouth because I'm not used to cleaning a, a – you know, a patient's mouth and I'm like yeah no problem let's go and then you see the other nurses doing it or doing the job and you think you're dangerous um Mm. so I just think knowing your limitations is high performance nursing Mm. and being really friendly with your patients I think you can't go wrong the friendly you are I think that patient's going to trust you Mm. and I've had relatives in hospital with nurses who have you know repositioned them in the bed and not even spoke to them and I think you know, how frightening must it be to be in bed and a nurse pulls you to one side and the other side. Mm. Um, so just remember everyone is human.
0: It's the little yeah. things, isn't it? Hey, It's it's the yeah. small gestures yeah. that make such a difference in a patient's experience. And um, people forget that, like, you treat a patient badly, they're going to make your day hell.
1: <laughs> like, well, they are and- out for you.
0: They've got nothing better to do <laughs> oh, yeah. other than sit there <laughs> oh, and, like, <laughs> burn you, like, stare through yeah. you.
1: They would mm. pour their drink on the floor and watch you mop it up.
0: Multiple you times.
1: You looked after somebody in intensive care and they named their child after you. And do you remember yes. why? Because you, because you washed her hair.
0: Yeah, I oh, know. I do. remember. I think I've talked about that on the podcast, but it you. was amazing. No, no, no. Thanks for bringing it up. I got kind of like goosebumps um, because <laughs> it, it it was an amazing experience for me. Obviously, I didn't look after the patient for, and expect them to do that. But it was just yeah. such a simple gesture. Literally, she had been backstory. She had been in a coma for a couple of weeks, I think, like, you know, um, here's me She's that's so not been old, nice to eh? you for years, um, but she'd been <laughs> unwell and um and then she uh she was decannulated no she was um oh my god I'm losing all my street cred today Charlotte she was she was tracky she was tracky yeah she was decannulated um and it was first day post decannulation and I said right let's um let's go for a shower like what do you feel like doing today and she was like I just want to shower and she said but the nurse yesterday said that it wouldn't be possible and I was like when I'm working with you anything is possible like let's make it happen like we've got 12 hours if it takes us 12 hours we'll make it happen (laughs) and we spent I think two hours in that shower her hair I'm not kidding you like Charlotte you've got long hair like it was down to her butt like it was took forever and I ain't no hairdresser um so (laughs) it took a long time and I got a beautiful letter when I was in Australia from my nurse unit manager saying she called her baby Liam um which was just amazing so beautiful so So that's
1: a good lesson really it isn't always a bit big things it is you cleaning a patient's teeth imagine not cleaning your teeth for weeks on end and being Mm. dehydrated Mm. that little two minutes of giving a patient your time that would make someone's day really would so i think high performance nurses high performance nursing sorry is that more the little things than the Mm. big medical gestures that you do
0: yeah yeah and i always think of it as um you know it's not what you, you say that people remember it's how you make them feel yeah. Um, that's the most important thing I love that so as we wrap up um, I'm curious what would be your advice for um, a nurse a busy mom two kids uh, that's working in healthcare at the moment that's kind of like what do I do like work doesn't fit around my life anymore um, I'm thinking of jumping ship and doing something different what would you say to them
1: I would say think about what you're good at or what you're passionate about or what you think you might be good at because you might not necessarily go in a direction you'd ever think you're going to go in. Or I didn't think I'd go into aesthetics. I'm not, I don't do beauty. I don't do anything. can I've ended up mm. in that path and I love it. And take your time. Don't just jump out of a safe job and take a chance unless you can financially do that. Um, but just bit by bit, try and grow in a different area. And I think, Especially with nursing, you you'll be very surprised at what areas you can go into. Yeah. I think, I think every nurse should take advantage of the choices that we have because there's not many jobs where you can do so so many different things with a qualification. And mm. um, mm. so, and with having children, it isn't easy. It really isn't easy. But I think if you've got good support, um, that's half the problem. Mm. Um, And it's doable. All I can say is it's completely doable. I'm not uh, majorly academic and I'm really not, but I've managed to be good at my job. And I think it's now, I'm now seeing the results of that. Mm. Um, You're amazing at your job, not just good at your job. You're so good at
0: your job. (laughs) that That's why all the clients come to you. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I wanted to um, add there as well, like recently on the podcast, I recorded an episode about determining your career why like your nursing career why because I think when we have a really strong why like why do we do something why do you do aesthetics is because it allows you the freedom to have the time with your two beautiful boys Jamie your family you have the work-life balance you make the money you need to pay your bills and to enjoy life that is your why by the sense of it and I think that a lot of people are missing that factor they don't like the reason why they're going to work in intensive care when they're a general mom with two kids or, you know, a yeah. single person with, with no kids. They don't like the reason why. So go back and listen to that episode. Um, I think that will definitely help you if that's somewhere that you're getting stuck. Um, and finally, final question. Um, you're in the hot seat, Charlotte. I love to ask people, what is something that you keep needing to relearn? What's something that keeps coming up for you um, in the process of your career that you need to relearn, that you need to keep reminding yourself? Okay. Yeah, I got this. What's something that keeps coming up for you?
1: Could you give me an example of? Uh... Well, I could pick
0: a few that you've told me during the call. <laughs> so, a lot of people talk about like I, they keep relearning mindset, like that they really need to focus on they are capable, they are able to do this. Other people will focus on, uh, like for me, I focus on the fact that when I am feeling like the imposter, I'm in the right space. Like, I should yeah. be feeling like that because I'm pushing my boundaries. Okay. What comes up for you? <laughs> Everybody gets stuck in this question. I maybe need I'm to change a, it.
1: A, um, <laughs> I think I... Just repeat the question once more. I'm sorry, audience. Nope. Please, don't, <laughs> please don't go to sleep yet.
0: This is real. It's real. Um, what do you need to keep relearning? So what okay. comes up well, all the time for you that you need to keep going back to?
1: I think I need to remember that I need to stop caring what people think who don't even really know me. Because mm. I've I've had a lot of um, like through my career, probably a lot of reasons why I haven't done certain things. It's worked out well in hindsight, but at the time, I've gone to go for that promotion, and someone's gone. Are you sure you're ready? And then you're thinking, oh, if I go for it, they, go, they don't think I'm ready. They don't mm. think that I should do it. And I think I have I have come across different situations where. I've worried more what other people think, and I only I have suffered from that and lost sleep over it. So, I all I try and work on now is who's going to benefit? Am I going to be happier? Are they going? You know, I think other people's opinions in your head. you think you're going to letting people down? But actually, people don't care. Mm-hmm. It's just an opinion. Mm-hmm. They're not going to lose sleep over it. So I think I, I always have to remind myself that when I do anything, really. Um, and i I think a lot by doing that i I am succeeding a lot more and taking bigger steps and being a bit braver
0: Mm, yeah when you're not constrained by you know and held back by what other people think you can achieve anything for sure i love that that's so good you got there love it sister um (laughs) awesome so um anything else you want to share with the high performance nursing audience um where can people find you and learn more about kind of you and follow you and know more about um, aesthetics and cosmetics in the uk
1: um so i'm on instagram at charlotte's dot aesthetics if anyone has any questions though about even setting up a business while doing nursing obviously liam i know you're the man um for <laughs> so that one
0: not for aesthetics <laughs> i'm not but
1: if, but if you've got any yeah if you've got any aesthetics questions or anything like that or even how to juggle parent life with nursing mm. with family life with cooking the dinner and cleaning mm. the house and every job that we you know we all have to do um not just moms but general adults mm. um mm. then obviously <laughs> the message is i Liz. like that
0: correction i love that correction um and also <laughs> if anybody's thinking about going from australia to the uk do you know to work in the nhs yeah definitely might be
1: I've actually worked in a lot of hospitals because I used to do agency nursing, which, mm. Liam, you did as well, didn't you? Mm, I did. Um, so we've worked – well, I feel like we've worked everywhere, actually, in all sorts of situations. <laughs> we have, yeah. Um, so, yeah, if anyone is considering moving to the UK or wants any advice or what to expect in a UK hospital, which may be different to an Australian hospital, yeah, drop me a message. I'm, I will be helpful. i can help yeah. anyone that message. so.
0: Awesome. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much. It's been fun. It's been awesome reconnecting with you and chatting and seeing how much you've grown since we first met each other in those nursing uh-huh. accommodation apartments. And we, you know, both of our careers have just gone, um, you know, to new heights. And it's so exciting to see that. And I'm so happy for you, the kids, Jamie and uh, Charlotte. Didn't tell us, but she's actually getting married next year. This year. Oh my goodness. This year. Um. And uh, Yeah in June and I'll be going across to the wedding so we'll make sure we take some snaps on Instagram and and post them on there but thank you so much (laughs) for your time and all of Charlotte's details will be in the bio of the podcast episodes until next time stay safe and stay curious people thanks Charlotte.
1: Thank you, bye.
0: Bye. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, please take a wee minute to leave a review. It would mean the absolute world to me. If you are ready to start taking action in your career and you need some support, why wait? Come and join my private Facebook community. The link is in the show notes below. Within the community, we take what we discuss in this podcast and we put it into action. Currently, I am looking for nurses who are ready to stop playing small and invest in themselves to create the life and the career they want to live. If that sounds like you, then please get in touch. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay forever curious, my nursing friends.